Hello, this is Jeff Vanderstelt, the host of the Saturate podcast and the executive director of Saturate. And uh, I want to just start with letting you know what Saturate is all about. Some of you already know this. Some of you maybe are new to this, but Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation. Uh, Saturate is committed to serving and supporting the formation of what we call gospel city hubs, where civic, business, and faith leaders all collaborate around five key initiatives, citywide prayer, leader health, disciple-making strategies, serving the city, and starting new churches and new kingdom initiatives. And so we're going to highlight one of those initiatives each time on our podcast. And this month and the next, we're going to spend more time just talking about citywide prayer initiatives. And today we're going to be talking about a very specific citywide prayer initiative that's taking place in my own city. And so I have with me some friends of mine that I get to do work in this region around uh, prayer and a variety of other things. Uh, so I'm going to introduce you to Jeff Vansel. Alexis Phillips and Chris Goff. Now, Jeff has served over 30 years as, uh, or after serving over 30 years as a regional and area director for Young Life in the Pacific Northwest, he uh, started giving more and more energy to leadership development through something called Centered, and he'll tell you a little bit more about that, but it raises up generations of Jesus-centered leaders, and it sponsors events in our city and state, as including even the National Prayer Breakfast. Uh, which we're going to tell you about because it really originated here in Seattle. I, I'm excited for you to hear about that story. Jeff also actively participates and partners with us, with Saturate, to make disciples and encourage what he calls, what the scriptures call, e e ecclesia. And he's going to tell you more about what that really means and kind of some of the expressions of what that is looking like here in our own context uh, and all throughout Cascadia, the, the greater region that we're all a part of here. Alexis uh, has served in a variety of settings. She was involved in talk radio, investment banking, brain research. She started a fair trade import business with a friend uh, when she was a stay-at-home mom. So she is an incredibly gifted and diverse leader, has done a whole lot of stuff. Currently, she's the director of Center, which Jeff helped to found. Uh, whose mission, as I stated earlier, is to really raise up a generation of Jesus-centered leaders. And she's married, she has a couple kids. I'll have her tell you about them. Uh, and she's a native here to the, the Puget Sound. And then Chris Goff has spent uh, the last 20 years in Seattle as a pastor and on staff at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, where he helped to build out local city gospel networks um, which we, I believe he called Light Up the City, and he can tell you more about that. He also recently joined Saturate the Sound uh, as our network director here in this city, alongside me to see city networks established in every city throughout the region. So welcome, you guys. I'm so glad you're here with me today. Great to be here. Jeff, it's a pleasure. Yeah, it's great. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff, would you? Is there anything you would add to that intro that you'd want people to know, maybe about your heart and particular work that you're doing right now? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Um, as I already said, good to be here. I uh, think the only thing I would add is, you know, my family aspect is father of four, grandfather of eleven, married to an amazing woman for fifty years. And uh, still feel like I'm getting to know her, <laughs> you know, that sense of discovery. And uh, I've just been a very blessed man. I'm very grateful for the calling God has given them, 
to me over the years of discipling, and that's my passion. And I think the change that's going on right now is this subtlety in what we call the Great Commission, which I've taken very seriously from just discipling people, you know, in the name of the baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then to, to teach them everything Jesus commanded, but to think in terms of discipling nations. What does it mean to disciple people groups? What does it mean to genuinely transform a city? How, how, how do we think about that? So I'm spending a lot of time thinking about that and 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 actualizing that to some degree in my new setting, which is uh, Spokane, Washington. That's awesome. So, yeah, but I have a G Je- part for Puget Sound, so I'm 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 there regularly. Yeah, I, Jeff has be has has been becoming a good friend of mine over the last few years, and uh, what I've loved about Jeff is uh, Jeff your love for people, your love for cities. Uh, your deep, deep conviction about developing uh, leaders, as well as making sure that we really embrace the call to discipleship in everyday life. So, man, it's just so good to have you here. And Alexis is a newer friend of mine uh, of this, really, this year. And so, Alexis, would you add anything else to the to what I shared, and maybe some of the heart that you have right now for what we're about to talk about? Sure. Um, you know. I- any anyone who works, which is all of us, knows that the best jobs are those where you don't feel like you're working at all. So I definitely feel in part right now that that is true about what I get to do under the centered banner. And it certainly applies to that of being mom, right? That's the most important thing to me. So I have two kids, uh, just 17 and 19 in a couple days. And my 19 year old is on his own adventure. He just became a United States Marine. So I think the piece that I would have about raising up generations of Jesus centered leaders is, you know, I'm now getting old enough to where sometimes you can feel and experience, wow, there really is a generational gap in thinking. Um, and if people get disconnected from the emerging generation, it's easy to only have concern. And I would say, yes, I'm definitely concerned about things that I see. And also, it's where two things can be true at the same time. Also, Those young people I'm engaged with regularly who are following Jesus blow my mind. Like if you are concerned about the emerging generation, come hang out with some of the 20-somethings I'm around and you will have the biggest shot of hope you've had in ages. Amen. Yeah, I I have a 20-year-old, and she's at the University of Washington, yep. staying in the six Ave, one of the 6Ave houses that I know yep. you guys are aware of. And uh, man, her passion for Jesus is just on fire, and her desire to impact people and do her, even engage her career very intentionally from a Jesus-centered uh, perspective for her f- future career. So yeah, Amen light years, light light years ahead of where I was at twenty. Oh my goodness, me too. <laughs> Thank you. So glad you're with us, uh, Chris. How about you? Anything else you would add? I've known Chris, man. We've been working together for a long time, um, and it's been a yeah. joy to work with you. Um, yeah. Anything you would would want to add, or even share about your heart about um, the work you do right now? Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. I mean, I, it just seems that. Uh, you know, God has led me to this weird role where I'm trying to see uh, expressions of of 
the body of Christ on mission together in different cities. And um, it's pretty fun. It's like every city I go to, uh, there's already quite a history of God's activity. And so it's got to be the most encouraging job ever to be able to go to different cities, hear the story of faith, the history of faith, uh, what, what people of faith and what God has done through them uh, to produce his kingdom in all these places. I mean, you, you could write novels and novels in the book of Acts of the city of Puyallup, you know, or something. And uh, it's really quite fun. But yeah, also, you know, I'm a dad. I've got four kids. Uh, three boys and one girl, and that that takes a lot of my time and and should as a priority in terms of uh, ministry. That's always ministry number one, right? Marriage and family. So, um, but yeah, no, I'm excited to have this conversation around prayer in the Puget Sound because um, not only do we need it during this time, but um, we're seeing it happen, and so uh, it's, it's quite encouraging. And, and so, yeah, looking forward to getting into it today. Yeah, and to clarify for those of you who are outside of our area, when we say the Puget Sound, that's the the Sound is actually a body of water, and it's all the uh, communities that are all around that body of water. I remember, I had some friends of mine in Quebec say, "Why do you call it saturate the Sound? Is it because you want the the gospel to fill every sound wave?" And I'm like, "Oh no, no, the Sound is a body of water." And so I had to explain that. So if you're unfamiliar with that, when we say that, we mean that this Greater Seattle area but it really goes all the way down to olympia and upwards to bellingham and and then like jeff ansel said he's in spokane and what we're seeing is a movement i think of the spirit uh all over the cascadia down to portland and up to vancouver and so we're excited to be a part of that and chris you've been a really uh you've played a really remarkable role with uh the union gospel mission and getting pastors and leaders together through light up the city and each uh, region of uh, the greater Puget Sound. So I'm just so thankful for all you've been doing. And I, I want us to to talk about this work that we think God is up to. Um, we really do believe that uh, we don't go start something, we go join something. We join what God is already doing. And it does seem to us that there is a unique moment here where we're seeing a movement around prayer in the greater Puget Sound. It's been happening for decades. There's been people faithfully praying for a long, long, long time, and people literally moving from other parts of the country to just be here and pray, which has been remarkable. But right now, we're, something seems to be um, almost like a unique opportunity right in front of us as we're seeing what was the annual centralized prayer breakfast moving to a decentralized movement of prayer. And so, Jeff, Vansel, would you, first of all, just share with us the history of the prayer breakfast? Because I think for our listeners, maybe many of them don't even know that they might have one in their town and they don't even know where it started. But it started right. here. So would you you share a little bit about what that's all about and how, how the origin uh, took place? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, it's a great story. Uh, back in the 1930s, uh, the head of Goodwill in Seattle had been an itinerant preacher, had traveled all over the, uh, the Northwest proclaiming the gospel, uh, landed in Seattle, became the president of the Goodwill. This is during the Depression, a uh, time of great need in Seattle. Chris can share a little about the history of Seattle, but Seattle was in a crisis. And his name was Abram Brady, a Norwegian immigrant, uh, and he was a man of prayer. And uh, as the head of goodwill, he began to gather 
people in the city, a few people in the city, just to pray with him. And he was famous. Uh, his kids and grandkids would talk about how they would wake up in the middle of the night and they could hear their dad or grandfather praying in the living room. He had a loud voice and he was just pleading for uh, for the city and pleading that he would follow Christ and and be obedient to what the Lord was telling him. And in his pleading one night, uh, the Lord spoke to him, as the Lord does, and uh, gave him a particular assignment, which surprised him. And it was an assignment that s- sounded something like this um, in, in 1930 vernacular. Uh, Abram, if you want to reach the city, you need to reach the big men. You know, we wouldn't, I don't think the Holy Spirit would say that today necessarily, but it's, but it's like, Back in the 30s, the reality was that the industrialists, those people who wielded uh, influence in the city, whether it be political influence or monetary influence or social influence, you know, they weren't being uh, maximized. And so the very next day uh, in one of his walks downtown, he ran into one of these industrialists and he had the opportunity to share what he thought was on the Lord had told him to do. And this industrialist, I forget his name right now, but he he uh, got really excited about that. He goes, Abram, if you do this, I will get behind this. We appreciate what you're doing for the down and outers, and we want you to keep doing that. That's important. That's on God's heart. We would never want to compete with that. But you need to know that us up and outers are dying on the vine. We don't have any support, and we're getting uh, huge labor issues. There's all kinds of pressures. So would you meet with us? And and uh, so Abraham said, I, I think I'm supposed to. Yeah. And so the next thing they went to is they went to the head of Frederick and Nelson, which is kind of the old Nordstrom of the day in Seattle. And uh, the head of, of Frederick and Nelson, a guy named William St. Clair, immediately caught the vision and he called 17 other industrialists or people of influence in the city. And they came together and they decided that they would meet uh, weekly. And they started a weekly prayer breakfast where they would come and they wanted to learn a better way, a better way of doing business, a better way of being dads, of being friends. And they they just covenanted their lives together. They actually took a retreat down to, down to a retreat center and, and they actually covenanted their lives together. Well, Pretty soon, this group began to have greater and greater influence in Seattle. And and within about three years, the new mayor came out of this group. And then within about four to five years, a governor came out of that group. It was a three-term governor. And then in 1943, I believe it was, that governor decided to have a prayer breakfast. And he invited all these friends who had been developing this, this cadre of 19, it was, uh, it, they begin to meet and other people begin to join them. And it, it, it was a movement, a Jesus-centered movement around the issue of leadership in Seattle. And it was being led by the business community, as well as this guy, who Abram Brady, who was serving them. All that to say, from the governor's prayer breakfast, cities all over America heard about this, this lay-led, leadership-oriented, Jesus-centered uh, movement taking place in Seattle and they, Minneapolis, LA, Denver, you know, New Orleans. Eventually, um, Abram Verdi was asked to move to Washington, D.C. And so for about six years, he labored in the Senate and in the House 
and with public officials in D.C. doing the same thing that had happened in Seattle. And in 1953, with a senator went to President Dwight Eisenhower and asked him if he would join them for a prayer breakfast. And Dwight basically said, you know, I live in the loneliest house in the world. Uh, I would love to, to participate. I'll do it on one condition or two conditions. One is that Billy Graham speaks. And the second one is that, uh, is that it's done at the Hilton Hotel. Yeah. Cause Hilton probably lost a golf round or something to him and he owed him one. So Starting in 1953, there's been a national prayer breakfast. It's really become an international prayer breakfast. And now 140, 150 countries a year come to this, uh, CEOs and, and heads of states. And it's a, it's a tremendous gathering of Jesus-centered leaders focused on the person of Jesus. And, and with, with, a, with, with the idea that we need to pray. Um, and so that's where all of this started. Now it's gone internationally to, I, I think, something like, I don't know, maybe 100 countries where there's prayer breakfasts. So that's a little of the history. We're really privileged to have this history in our, in our city of Seattle. Thanks, Jeff. I, I'm curious, because I've, I've heard a variety of versions of that. What was the state, maybe Chris, you can speak to this. What was the state of Seattle when this started? Because I know many would say, like, right now, Seattle's not there's a lot of darkness in Seattle. There's a lot of brokenness in this in this city and in our region. Uh, Chris, what was the state of the city uh, when this all started? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I I, um, I I think we're we're feeling like, and this is why we turned a direction this year with the King County Prayer Breakfast. But there seems to be a similar uh, environment today than there was in the 1930s. So the 1930s, you've got the Great Depression. Right, you've got the crash of a stock market. You've got uh, a scenario where people are are traveling to find work. Their institutions are collapsing. You've got all kinds of problems, and uh, people who were there are not there. <laughs> New people are here, and uh, at one point there's rioting, there's union riots, there's union disputes all through the Seattle area. Um, at one point, they're burning buildings, and it's not just one point. There were years of these uh, protests and riots. Uh, I was actually looking it up uh, just recently to make sure I had numbers right. It's like one of these riots, there were 40,000 people walking through the city and 60,000 watching them, <laughs> you know, right through the downtown Seattle. And, um, you know, it just it feels like a similar moment. There's a lot of isolation. There's a lot of... Um, disconnection from things. A lot of institutions that are here are struggling or gone. A lot of leaders are gone. And so it's not surprising that this call and this focus to prayer uh, comes right in and and finds a home because prayer is fundamentally a humbling of yourself, right? It's like, gosh, whatever we're doing, it's not working. Uh, and, and maybe Jesus really meant it when he says, apart from the vine, we can do nothing. And so there's this uh, there's this willingness to kind of come together to um, to seek the Lord together to seek first the kingdom of God. And so uh, as we were planning this year, I mean we've got we've got COVID shutdowns. We weren't sure what what kind of scenario would happen when we uh, you know historically we've gathered in a singular location downtown Seattle. Uh, this will be the 87th year of of the King County Prayer Breakfast. But we thought, boy, we really need to do something different. Um, we, we'd love to see as many people as possible engaging in prayer because people are hurting. 
and people are isolated and uh, and people are afraid. And so uh, that's the that's the context through which most of us turn and start praying, right? Like uh, everyone prays when they're in big trouble. And um, that was the case in the mid 1930s. Uh, that seems to be the case now. And so this is resonating with a lot of people. Yeah, it really is. I, I've been, I'm really thankful for the faithfulness of people who have con- committed to this consistent time of prayer every year, but there is a significant shift happening right now. And Alexis, maybe you can even share a little bit of some of the the story of how do we, how do we get to this more decentralized expression that we're going to talk about? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So I, I actually think it goes back to years ago, probably six, seven, eight, maybe even more uh, years before that, where the planning team, which is made up of uh, civic leaders, marketplace leaders, nonprofit pastoral leaders, where that team has really been grappling with, gosh, how... How do we have the King County Prayer Breakfast, which is a huge place. It's the 12th largest county in our nation with over 2.2 million people. Okay, so how do we have the King County Prayer Breakfast be a true reflection of the fullness and diversity and totality of God's kingdom? Well, that's really hard to do in a ballroom. So we would have these conversations and come up with... uh, kind of useless strategies, right? That that uh, never really went anywhere. And uh, we just couldn't get our minds outside of a ballroom, right? We, we couldn't. And simultaneously, a growing desire that the prayer breakfast be more than just 90 minutes one day a year, and also couldn't quite see how to get beyond that. And so I kid you not, you know, it's amazing things are birthed out of long car rides, right? So uh, I was in a car with two friends, Sean Stewart and Christy Gustafson, and we were, had, we'd been at a retreat and we were driving back from the retreat and Sean said to me, I love the King County Prayer Breakfast. When is it this year? And I told him that we weren't quite sure and that uh, given how our, you know, with the rise of the Delta variant of COVID and how our state approaches things, it's like, "Ah, I don't think we could be in a ballroom. So I think we're just going to have to be back on Zoom and do something on Zoom. And he had this visceral reaction of, I will not participate if it's on Zoom. I'm so tired of, you know, things on Zoom when they're meant to be for the community and drawing people together. And I was kind of like, okay, well then what else do you have for me? Like what what other option? And he said, well, why don't you take it to people's homes? And I went, oh, interesting. Say a little bit more about that. So it was really that car ride and our friend Sean Stewart, who had what we now understand was kind of a spirit-led moment thought to go out of a ballroom into people's homes that gets us into across the county, a true reflection of the totality of the people living in King County and uh, makes it potentially more than just a one day thing. And thanks to all we've learned about gathering, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, you can still create a sense of the broader community through, through Zoom. 
Yeah, uh, it's so exciting. I know that the limitations of COVID for many, it, it stopped things. And for us, it, it created an opportunity. Yeah, it's a uh, silver, silver lining in it all, isn't it? Absolutely. And something dramatic happens to help you shift your mindset and see something you could not see before. Yes, amen. Yeah, so often I think God redirects our steps through things we wouldn't choose. And uh, clearly that was us here around the prayer breakfast. And uh, I'm so thankful for you guys' sensitivity to the Spirit's leading in that. What else shaped that the new direction we're headed. Uh, I know there was a variety of of moments, key moments along the way that have continued to be means by which God has directed us. Um, sure. yeah. I'll so just we, open it up. For, yeah, go ahead. You you keep going, and then uh, we'll hear for the others as well. Yeah. So I I think that the uh, see seeing. You know, in the context of Seattle, with the really hard lockdowns that were very long term and nobody really being in downtown anymore, and then you layer riots on top of that, I'll just say that I had not been in downtown Seattle, even though it's about five or six miles away from where I live. I'd not been in downtown Seattle from March 2020 until October 2020. When the little team that stewards the King County Prayer Breakfast decided, well, let's just go downtown and and pray in the heart of the city. Uh, So we did. And we did that. We started in October 2020, kind of going one time to start. And I, I kid you not, when I got in my car and drove home, I cried. Because the city was so different. and. I love Seattle. It's like, I feel it in my gut. I love the city. I love the people. And so most everything was closed, boarded up, businesses gone, quiet. The city was quiet. You just weren't hearing the sounds of a normal, healthy city. And that... I think for all of us who went down that morning, it was our afternoon, it was pouring down rain. We were literally huddled together under this little awning, um, just getting soaked. But that was the beginning where we just had this sense that we should come back. We should do it again. And so we just have faithfully gone down. Every Thursday at noon, we meet in an area of the city called Westlake Park. Anyone hearing this now, come join us. And uh, and I'll and I do want to add to that that I would say, Jeff, I would not be your first person to raise hands and be like, "Woohoo! I'm going to go down and pray in public in a visible area in the city." Uh, it made me very uncomfortable at first. And so uncomfortable that I was more aware of anybody walking by, anything external. It took me, it was my own internal process of being faithful to something that I, that, that I and we as a team felt the Lord was leading us to. Took a number of weeks, maybe really many months for me to settle in and be comfortable with that. I know that's not everyone's story, but I think it's relevant um, in case someone's hearing this and maybe the Lord might be nudging them to go pray in their city. And they're like, uh, but I, I'm not, I don't pray in, in public. Well, maybe you do. Mm-hmm. 
I love that. I appreciate you just even being that vulnerable because I think so many people need to hear normal people struggle with these things because we all have different things uh, that we struggle with in terms of how we follow Jesus in public ways. And so what I'm just like thankful you're willing to say that because I think a lot of people need to hear that. Yeah, well, I, I now kind of like, Lord, please, I don't want to be the person carrying the sign. Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> right? I love it. Yeah, let's, let's, yeah. Well, that would be uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, there's more to share there, too, because I think, you know, people throw the word movement around a lot. And, um, you know, we, we really believe, you know, kind of that definition of a movement is that no one's actually in charge of this. <laughs> This is something that a lot of people are independently doing uh, at the same time. And that's why it's a movement, right? Not an organization or a great effort or an initiative. And uh, we just started hearing stories of prayer. Um, We heard of one couple who prayed for a hundred of their neighbors saying, we're praying for you. If you'd like, we'll pray for you now. And 99 of them said, yes, please pray for me now. Uh, We saw that prayer was in the top 10 Google search as well as uh, online church. Uh, so was so was DIY haircuts, but you know. But the point is, it's in there, right? I mean, this is you just see the theme; it keeps coming up. People people want to pray. People are asking how to pray. Churches who've never done prayer stuff are starting to do prayer stuff, and people are starting to come. I heard of a a men's group uh, who met for prayer uh, last week here in Seattle. There are seventy men there. <laughs> you know, I mean, when when does that happen? Um, think of your own congregation. It's like all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, there's some spiritual realities going on. Maybe it's the global issues we're seeing, but also the hyper-local issues that we're seeing and also just how people are doing. Uh, it's kind of like if there was a time to sort of ring the bell and say, you guys, let's let's pray. Um, I don't know what other time. It's like, let's let's do it. Let's go. And I think that was part of our incentive as well. Maybe we can leverage this great story in our city the great relationships we've built over the years uh, and just start, start giving people opportunities to pray. And um, it's been, it's been pretty fun to see that not just a response to that, but to see us playing catch up in some places where like, wow, I had no idea all this was going on already in these places. And so it's been a fun, it's, it's actually been, it's been quite amazing. And we're, we're really hopeful to see what the Lord is going to bring out of this. Uh, looking back at history, it's like the Lord didn't do anything without prayer, and that led to incredible fruitfulness. And so we're we're excited about where people's hearts are at right now in Seattle. Yeah, and I just add to that. For me, it's um, it really stems back to a trip I took with my wife over to Europe and had a little time to read and picked up a book by a friend of mine, Jerry Sitzer, called Resilient Faith, which was really a story of the first three centuries of the church. And uh, he's a professor at Whitworth University, and uh, his his students were no longer interested in studying Reformation history. They weren't interested in theology, per se. They wanted to study, did the world ever really change? And the first three centuries radically changed the world. And what was it about that expression of the body of Christ that had that kind of influence? Rodney Stark and other sociologists would say there were probably about 25,000 followers of Jesus at year AD 100. I thought there would have been more. But at AD 300, there was like 30, 30 million. 
And so it was a 40% per annum, per every year, a 40% growth of the church for 200 years. <laughs> Why? What was it about that church that created that type of, of attractiveness and, and pulling people in? And when they were being persecuted, they were, they were losing their lives. They were being hung up on crosses and used as, as lights for the city, you know, put tar on them and light them up. I mean, terrible stuff. And yet the church grew. What was it about that church? Well, the, the structure of it was built on the command of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. And they lived and worshiped in their neighborhoods, in their homes. It was, they weren't driving by neighborhoods to get to a worship service. It was happening in the midst of their everyday life. And it wasn't dictated by a particular schedule or place or by a hierarchy of professional staff. It was, it was the spirit of God moving among norm, normal, ordinary people in their everyday life. And so the idea of, of, you know, I think over the last several years, uh, the political divide, we have got caught in a story that, that lends itself to our circle of concern. We're concerned about this. We're concerned about that. What are we going to do about this Supreme Court justice? What are we going to do about this national policy? When we, we've lost our circle of influence, we've given our circle of influence away to our circle of concern. So we're concerned all the time about things we can't influence, uh, but we actually have influence in our proximity. We actually have proximity or, or influence with our neighbors. We can love our neighbors. We can find out what their needs are. We can ask them. We can serve them. We can laugh with them. We can play with them. We can study with them. We can work with them. They're there. And so when the idea came up that we would move from a downtown centralized uh, ballroom to homes or businesses or community centers, it's like my heart leapt. I absolutely could, Alexis was telling this to me and I could hardly let her finish the sentence. Like we have to do this. This is the Lord's will. And anybody who calls himself by his name, if my people who are called by na my name will humble themselves. So anybody who's called by the name of Jesus can do this. And we can go from 700 in a ballroom to, to 7,000 homes or 700,000 homes. You know, there's just a sense of this is unlimited in its scope because we can all do this and we can all care for our neighbor and we can pray. It starts with prayer. And, and what happens through prayer, it's hard not to love people you pray for. You know, and, and the scripture that that has been jumping out at us in this whole thing, and I'll, I'll just be brief on this, but it's it's the first Timothy passage where Paul sent his his uh, protege, protege Timothy to Ephesus, a place not unlike Seattle, by the way. It was it was a port city. It was a highly intelligent city. It had a unique buildings. It had a, a, a temple to Artemis, you know, a, a very sexualized city. It was not an easy place to be. You know, and Paul sent this young man and says, you're going to fight the good fight. A lot of people have been shipwrecked there. And then he says this. He says, OK, I urge you then, Timothy, first of all, not second, third, not if you can fit it in. I urge you. So there's urgency and there's priority. First of all, what? What is he urging? What is he prioritizing? It says requests, prayers, 
intercession and thanksgiving. So three of those words, I can't tell the difference between the three of them. Prayers, requests, requests, and intercession. So anytime you see three things in a row that mean exactly the same thing, you're thinking, take note, right? This is a huge, holy, efficacious strategy. First of all, don't put this down the list. Request prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Everyone. I mean, can we imagine a day where there isn't a soul in the world that isn't being prayed for? That's where saturate gets its name. We want to saturate our city in prayer. Everyone is prayed for. But we can't start there. That's way down the road, possibly. But it then says for kings and all those in authority. Why kings and all those in authority? Because it's a way to pray for everyone. Because everyone is affected by kings and those in authority. So we, our heart gets engaged with everyone as we pray for those who are in authority. And the purpose being that we might live quiet and peaceful lives, that sense of shalom, that people might be in a place of, of personal stability, safety, uh, a sense of, 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 of being able to learn, not being distracted. And as a result, that all might come to the knowledge of the truth in Jesus Christ. So that's, that's really the goal, but it starts with this prayer. Prayer is not an add-on. It is the first priority. And, and that's what we have to do. And we have to do it in every believer's home. Every believer's home needs to be thinking, how can I bring my neighborhood to the, to the throne room? Yeah, the, I, I, that's so beautifully said, Jeff. The, as you were talking, what was rolling through my mind is this whole idea of, of movement. And I think I do want to, you, you alluded to it at the beginning, Jeff Vanderstelt, um, like we're not starting a movement, like how arrogant would that be for us to state that? Um, when, when I think of the movement, I think like it starts in, in me, the movement of my heart aligning with God's will, which is expressed through through Jesus, love him and love my neighbors, right? That's the movement, the revolution that I need to have take place in my heart all the time. And then we're just agreeing with, with the Lord that he wants us to do that. So it starts with that movement in us. And I think that's the quote movement that we're seeing all over the place as we're spreading out across this region, which is our little patch of the world, right? Um, and joining God and his and people together as they're experiencing that same inner heart and mind movement to be drawn closer to him, to love people and our neighborhoods like he does. Amen. Yeah, I... I love that. I mean, the idea that there's movement leaders, it's like, no, I don't think there's movement leaders. I think we have a movement leader. His name is Jesus, and he's got a spirit in us. And then we join him in the work. And like Jeff, you said, so I think helpfully, this idea of moving from my circle of concern to my circle of influence, that I can't influence my concern as much as I can influence my neighborhood and the people around me. And that's always been how God intended his people to be is you've got the spirit of God in you. Therefore, the spirit of God is in your neighborhood. Therefore, you have everything you need in that neighborhood to bring about the realization of shalom, the, the kingdom of God breaking in into everyday life. So 
Man, I love that. Chris, you know, when we think about how we got to where we're about to be, because we're looking at April 19th this is a date where we want homes everywhere, businesses everywhere, you know, community centers everywhere, gathering around prayer, prayer for their neighborhood, prayer, prayer for the leaders. Uh, you know, we, we backed that up all the way to December where we brought everybody to a downtown facility to kind of just start it. Chris, would you mind sharing a little bit about just that movement from, hey, we still are going to get you in a ballroom, but only to get you going towards this decentralized reality. Tell a little bit about the last several months and what we've been doing to prepare for that. Yeah, it's, it's actually really neat how it came together. We really feel like the pathway to get there was uh, really given to us by the Holy Spirit. But, you know, you can't tell people what to do, um, but you can talk to those who are already involved in the vision and share what the Lord is adding uh, or or increasing or shifting in the vision. And so, yeah, that was that initial meeting back in December. We called together all the, the you know, historic table hosts who had helped to, frankly, put on the events, right? Um, and through their uh, uh, relationships, uh, through their investment of of time, dollars, et cetera. And we just pulled them together and we said, hey, can we pray over the King County today? Uh, can we pray for one another today? And um, and can we just, can you give us some feedback on what where we think we need to head? Like, would you be willing to host a table, not in public, but in private, in your home and invite those around you? And um, it was it was a wonderful success. But not only was it a success in terms of communicating a, a, a tweaked vision, it was also a success because we decided, you know, why don't we actually do the praying now? <laughs> like, let's not put off, let's, hey, you guys, let's pray in the future. It's like, no, let's, if, if Paul is urging Timothy, first of all, to pray, it's like, let's pray right now. Let's pray for those around us. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for the county. So we did that in December with sort of our you know, for sort of those who had already bought into um, this initiative, then we we really expanded it to the, the East County, West County, South County. We invited people who had, um, you know, those who are called by his name in those places. And we said, hey, let's pray over those places for one another and for those locations. Um, uh, because this is what we want to do on April 19th. Let's just do it now again in these locations. And now in March, we're doing the same thing in every city. So um, there's there's 40 cities in King County, uh, but some of the cities are big. So we're breaking them down into little, little quote unquote cities. But we're seeing gatherings happening all over the place during the month of, month of March. And um, where we're praying for one another, we're praying for the city, we're sharing a space together. In other words, it's not just about prayer. It's about loving one another, right? But um uh, that we know that that perfect love is coming from the Trinity. Uh, that's our example of what love is. We don't just make up what love is. And so uh, we're we're loving God. We're in communication with God. We're also loving one another. And so we're doing that at every step as we go in. So it's not just an idea, but it's something that people are experiencing. It's something that we're able to model um, so that those who want to open their homes, well, some of them, it's like, well, we've already done this four times, you know? Um, so. Uh, we're able to uh, open our home confidently. But the idea is very simple. It's like on April 19th, we're asking people to open their homes and share, pray, respond. That's sort of what we're inviting people into. So share a meal or coffee, or you could go big, or you could 
you know, just get the Folgers out, um, uh, share your lives with one another, pray for one another, pray for um, the city, the location, the local school, the neighbor, and then respond. What did the Lord say to us this morning? What did you hear? And how should we respond to that? So that's what we've sort of been doing at every step, moving in, um, kind of zooming in and in and in. I think the world always wants to um, go bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think we we felt like maybe the Lord wants us to actually go smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, I love Jeff Vansel. I, I quote you all the time, Jeff, but Jeff said one time, uh, go small or go home. And it feels like that's part of what we're inviting people into, um, which is pretty, pretty powerful and pretty fun. So in example, uh, my mom is opening her home on April 19th. And her initial thought was, I'm going to invite every one of my neighbors. And I said, are any of your neighbors believers? She goes, no, exactly. That's why I'm inviting them to my home. And I thought, go mom. Okay. You know, she's going for it. But then she came back and she said, you know, I kind of prayed about it. There are about five uh, families in, in the three block area who are believers. We've never gathered. I think I'm going to gather them so we can start developing um, a heart for this little area God has put us and start sort of working together. And I thought, whoa, okay, that, that came from the Holy Spirit. Um, and so who knows, <laughs> that may just happen in a corner of the Renton Highlands, you know. But but that's the kind of thing. It's like wow, if that started happening all over our region, I mean that is phenomenal. And Jeff, that's you know this is this is saturation, right? <laughs> this is what it looks yeah. like to to have everyone on mission, thinking about their neighbor, uh, praying with their brothers and sisters in mission, and for you know loving one another and loving their neighbor. It's just phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, our hope is that every man, woman, and child in this region has an, an opportunity every day to meet Jesus. And we know that the way that that happens is you have to go small, like Jeff Ansel said. I mean, if God chose to show up in a baby to change the world in the person of Jesus, then maybe he wants us to show up in the small so that Jesus gets to invade the whole through a yeast approach, you know, the kingdom of God is like yeast and just works itself through the whole thing. And that's, that really is our hope that God will bring that about here. And I, I wanted to ask that question as you guys are thinking about the, the coming month, you know, April 19th is the big day when we we're hoping to see this happen all over the city. Um, and I, I would agree, Chris, like I'm seeing, I'm seeing this spread. Like I'm, I just met with a guy yesterday and I haven't even talked to him about this and he knows about it. So like the word is spreading in a kind of viral sense. And he's like, man, I'm, I've got all these neighbors that know Jesus in my neighborhood, but we've never done this together. And yet we have all these other people who don't know Jesus as well in our neighborhood. So what if we came together, prayed, began to serve and love our neighborhood all together as one big C church? So it's starting to spread. But as you guys are seeing what's happening, what do you see God doing? And what are your hopes as you are paying attention because I sense something is up in a way that I've never felt before. Um, but I'd love to hear your guys' sense of what God's doing in this and what your hopes are for it. Let me let me jump in quickly just to say there's one aspect of this that really motivates me, and I think it's it's timely. It's it's on April 19th. That's two days after Easter. You know, we celebrate our Lord's death on Friday. On Sunday, as a body, we proclaim he is risen. He is risen indeed. 
And then on Tuesday, the body of Christ in King County comes and appropriates. We make real that confession that he's risen. We carry his authority into our neighborhoods. I, I see this being part of the church calendar. This is, this is what the body of Christ does in our region. You know, it's, it's, part, it's, 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 it's really a pattern after the New Testament. I mean, after the resurrection, Jesus said, don't go anywhere. Stay in Jerusalem. And they prayed in unity. That's, that's the next step after the resurrection. You know, and then the Holy Spirit sends us in power. So I see that being uh, really, really a significant thing from a timing standpoint. And hopefully it catches on. And we uh, largely through our, uh, you know, our leader of the, of the uh, planning team, Jeff Rogers, a local business leader here in town. He sees this, I think, uh, incrementally over what he calls biblical numbers. So he says we need to think in terms of one, three, seven, you know, ten, twelve. You know, these biblical numbers. We need maybe, maybe on the seventh year after having done this for seven years, we gather everybody together, and by that time, it's in the key arena. You know, that sense of wow, look at what God has done, and we're celebrating in the year of jubilee in a sense. Uh, you know, but this sense that we we don't. We're not going to evaluate, was this a complete success or failure based on one year? There's a lot of just infrastructure that we're going to learn as we go here in terms of how do we create easy accessibility and how do we make this something that's not threatening to a particular brand, you know, that we're not trying to brand this. We're not, this is the body of Christ. This is not a centered event. This is not a saturated event. This is not a Baptist event. This is not a seventh day. You know, you can go on and on. This is the body of Christ and we're praying for the good of our city. And that's the other thing I'd say just briefly is this concept, you know, every 500 years, there's a significant, huge shift in the world that Phyllis Tickle has done a great job on three or four books about this. Um, we're in the middle of that right now. I mean, this information age has changed everything and we function, our brains are being wired differently and we need to function differently. The current structure of our uh, of the ecclesia is producing results that's not meeting our culture squarely. You know, we need to we need to restructure and rethink how we do what Jesus called the ecclesia, which we call church. And a lot of that has to do with understanding what the word meant originally. I'll just be brief here, but Jesus used a very unique word. He didn't use synagogue. He could have used synagogue or temple or you know, I will build my synagogue. And he's not against synagogue by any means, but there's this sense that he used this word that has to do with the good of the city. Synagogue came from the Greek city state, or, or Ecclesia came from the Greek city states. And it had to do with a magistrate calling the cities, the citizens of the city together, usually at the town square or the city gates, to discuss city business. That's the word Jesus used. And he didn't use it until he was confessed as the Christ. And the Christ is a governmental word. It's a deliverer who has governmental power. The government will be on his shoulders. And so this sense that the, the ecclesia, the church, whatever that is, that by definition cares for the good of the city. It's not just a worship service. Not that I, we should never minimize a worship service. That's phenomenal. We, that's our power is to remember who Jesus is and to confess him as the Christ. That's the rock upon which this this ecclesia is built on. But this ecclesia is supposed to be able to stop the flow of death into our society, the gates of Hades, 
the leadership of hell will not prevail against you. And so the, the, the measurements of whether the ecclesia is, is, is actually working is in social statistics. Are there less suicides? Are there less, is there less domestic violence? Is there better graduation rates? Are there less divorces? I mean, you just go, that's really the criteria. And that can only happen if the ecclesia is actually getting involved in everybody's lives. You know, which goes back to the reality of we can care for our neighbor. There isn't a social problem in our culture that can't be solved by neighbor loving neighbor on a massive scale. And that's what we're trying to believe for. There are, it, can we believe for a massive sense of neighbor loving neighbor? Because it starts with prayer. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember one of the more prophetic voices that we listened to as we were asking God, what are you doing and how, how do we join you in this? She she said, um, this is not about you. You don't pray so God will do what you want. You pray so you align your heart with what God wants. And I really believe that we tend to think prayer is how we're going to get things done. And I think it's more like, no, prayer is how we're going to actually line up with what God's already doing and wants to do in and through you, which is love your neighbor. I mean, that's fundamentally, it's it. so so simple. And yet, it takes the love of God to do it in a way that transforms a city. And so, Alexis, um, anything you want to add to that? And then also, if people want to hear more about it, where would they go if they wanted to hear more about at least what's going on here in our context? Sure. So they could go to King County PB Prayer Breakfast, or as I heard someone say the other day, peanut butter, <laughs> kingcountypb.com or .org. They'll land you at the same spot. Uh, um, that, that would be the best place. And I, I think in the, in, as we wrap up here, I would just say, like, is you, the theme that I'm seeing as we're in different cities and hearing uh, people share concerns, um, boy, we have so many faithful people who are now well into their 80s who are like pillars of communities who have been praying for decades for their neighbors for, and they really have a heart for the emerging generation. Uh, that has been really amazing to see. And the other thing that I think is interesting about that is that you have the, it's the elderly and the young who are the most lonely. So I find myself scratching my head this week. Just, this just came to, I've just observed this this week. Like how, 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 like, Lord, how do we create context for these two to merge together? I don't know. I'm just asking. But that, that would be one of the things as people hear this, like to share ideas on that or to be praying about that. Right. But both, both would so beautifully benefit from being in more relationship with each other. Definitely. Yeah, it's so good. You know, one of the things I love about what has happened is that we've simplified, not me, but the team has simplified this process so anybody can do it and it can be easily reproduced, right? Totally. I love that. Like we're going to, we're going to share, we're going to share needs. We're going to pray for needs. Then we're going to listen to God and say, what are you doing? And how do we join you in that? And we're just going to keep doing that over and over again. Yep. Yeah. And the other thing I would just say, and uh, closing too is that, and maybe it's already been said, it's certainly been hinted at, but you cannot hate something you pray for. So if you're hating your local politician and you're having, like, I mean, this is my story. Like I would hear certain names and be like, oh, I'm just so frustrated and upset. 
Okay, so that actually is God inviting me into an opportunity to pray for that person. It's not even about them seeing the world the way I do, but can I impart a blessing on that person that they would be someone who would be known for for goodness and love, right? We can start really simple. Yes. Um, that hatred fades. Man, so good. That's so good. Yeah, Jeff. Any last word? Just last thirty seconds or so. What you would recommend too? Because that that was really powerful, Alexis. If we'd all just begin to do that, uh, and then look for opportunity to serve our neighbor, I think the world would change for sure. Jeff, you have any last word in the last thirty seconds here? Just that you would well, give I, to our listeners. I, I, uh, I uh, I've been quoted to say, uh, "Go small or go home." Um, <laughs> You know, I think we need to make this something that's accessible to everybody. So go small. Jesus made it very clear where two or three, he could have said where four to 500 or seven or eight or whatever. He used two or three. And that's really significant. That, that wasn't that wasn't a small thing. So start start with two or three, and it could be your own family. You don't have to go to neighbors. Just start with your own family. But everybody can do this. Everybody can participate. And there's something I know it's not getting God's attention. It's like he doesn't need everybody to meet at one time to get his attention. But the thought that we would be in unity as the body of Christ at a particular time focused on our city in prayer is pretty compelling. So it's start amazing. small. Yeah. yeah. Small is big. There's there's yeah. the word. Small is big. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, we, we hope this serves you. We're going to do another one on prayer uh, next month as well because uh, we uh, believe it is where you begin. As, as Jeff already read, first of all, this is what we do. Uh, if you would like more access to the resources we have, we many of you know there's a subscription to get lots of resources. We're going to give you, if you're listening, uh, two free weeks if you want that uh, at saturatetheworld.com and you just uh, click on get membership, fill out the form, and then use this code podcast 2022, all lowercase free resources. We're going to try and get you as much help as you can so you can love your neighbor really effectively and be a disciple who makes disciples in the everyday stuff of life. You guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Jeff and Alexis and Chris, you are a blessing to me and a blessing to our city. Thank you so much. <laughs>